Hey everyone, before I hit play on our awesome theme song, if I do say so myself, just wanted to put a quick word in and say we had a lot of technical issues on this episode this week. It sucks, but in the editing process, I think I worked through most of them. Every once in a while, though, you are going to hear just a little bit of an audio glitch. So I just wanted to let you know that ahead of time so you don't freak out. Everything is okay, and we should be back to normal for our next episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoy this big episode, this supersized episode talking about Goodbye, Michael. This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? Frustrated at the last 20 minutes we spent just trying to get this episode set up. But um, yeah, some days aren't podcasting days, but I think we're finally going to get to this episode. How are you, Chad? I'm doing okay. The technical <laughs> we are here, and uh, well, I, I guess I, I'm okay now. I might be less okay <laughs> once we start getting into things, but uh. yeah, this is um, this is an episode today. But first, we have a new Apple Podcast review from Mike Clump. Great name, and thank you for reaching out with your review. We so appreciate it. And let's just jump into it. Let's uh, dive headfirst into the cold water. Uh, this is goodbye, Michael. It aired on April 28th of 2011, was directed by Paul Feig, who's directed many of the best episodes of The Office, was written by the creator of the American version of the show, Greg Daniels. Before I go into the plot summary, I just love that we had kind of the two original, the the two big guys here, um, that main director, main writer, bringing Michael out with a a bang with this episode. Yeah, real quick, let me go over what Paul Feig directed in the office he directed office olympics halloween performance review email surveillance survivor man dinner party goodbye toby weight loss the surplus moroccan christmas new boss dream team niagara and goodbye michael so this is paul feig's last episode with the show as well and so many great episodes in his wake so for this episode Michael spends what everyone thinks is his second to last day of work, giving heartfelt goodbyes to every individual in the office. However, in an effort to have a low drama goodbye, it is actually his last day of work and he hasn't told anyone. And as the day draws to a close, a few important people still haven't gotten to say goodbye. So just starting off with the cold open, uh, the not funny parts of it, at least, Dwight, after going through all of Michael's last Dundee's last episode, sort of just frustrated with Michael without saying why uh, he's finally aired his grievances against him. He says, you were the one who didn't leave me a letter of recommendation. You were the one who didn't give me the job. You were the one who didn't help me out in some way. And Michael at this point appears to be genuinely apologetic. He says, I don't own Dunder Mifflin. Okay. The job was not mine to give. So we mentioned in the producer's cut of the last episode that, Michael had a talking head where he said, I didn't know that Dwight wanted the manager job. So if that's true, one, he's completely oblivious, but I'm not necessarily surprised by that. And two, him feeling bad shows that he is upset that he disappointed his friend. So 
right off the bat, he's in the business of maybe trying to make a little bit of amends with Dwight. He asks him about the uh, the bears in Colorado and whether it's smart or not to carry a salami in his pocket to feed them should they approach. Uh, but Michael is at least mindful of Dwight's mood and Dwight's memory of him and is trying at least a little bit to feel out a way to improve that. Yeah, and we see a bit more of that as as the episode goes on. Um, but that's that's the big part of it for the cold open. Um tries to lighten the mood with the with the bear bit, which we'll get to in the in the funny moments, but understands Dwight's feelings at this point and is just making a last ditch effort really to mend things before he goes. So I that's sort of the theme, I think, of his what turns out to be his last day at the office. He's being very selfless. So after Dwight, we see him being selfless, really selfless with D'Angelo. D'Angelo straight up asks for Michael's favorite toy truck, the one he keeps on his desk. And Michael says, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll just give it to you. Fine. You want it? I'll give it to you. Uh, and he spends the rest of the day, as I said, giving individual goodbyes to everyone in the office, um, even people he doesn't particularly like. He is tying up loose ends today. He's making sure Dwight's okay. He's giving away his Dunder Mifflin things like the truck. This is all just last ditch. Yeah, tying up loose ends. And not all of it is necessarily him being glad to do these things. Like he, He's a little bitter about handing over his truck to D'Angelo, but he does it anyways. Though D'Angelo does say, hey, I'll, I'll just leave you alone right now. But there's several other examples of that too. As you just mentioned a couple of them, but uh, another example, they're throwing a party for Michael on his last day. So tomorrow, in the context of the episode, and the quote, dream team, party planning committee, uh, Pam, Angela, and Phyllis have reassembled uh, in the, the name of putting together a party for Michael. And they're planning it. And they say, hey, we should get mint chocolate chip ice cream for Michael because it's his favorite. And he says, you know what? Let's get ice cream everybody will like like vanilla something generic that we can put toppings on and he asked pam hey what kinds of toppings do you like get those so instead of michael asserting his own preferences over the whole party and doing things exactly the way he wants to do it he's trying to allow everybody else to have a say and this is in stark contrast to a very very specific instance back in season one the alliance when they threw a surprise birthday party for meredith a month before her birthday and Michael asked for mint chocolate ice cream cake because it was his favorite. But then it was revealed that Meredith was allergic to dairy. And he says, well, she's not going to be the only one eating it. And remember, he also said, if I were allergic to dairy, I think I'd kill myself in that episode. But now here, Meredith is the one saying, Hey, we're getting mint chocolate chip because it's your favorite. I remember this about you very specifically. I remember this about you. And he says, no, let's get something that everybody's going to enjoy. And everybody's surprised by this. Pam doesn't even know what he means at first when he asks her what she likes when it comes to toppings because she's not used to him being so courteous or so considerate of others and their opinions. So it's really Michael just trying to be the best version of himself as he's saying goodbye to everybody today. He's also got a lot of pride at this time. Good pride. Um, He announces to the camera crew that he bought his world's best boss mug for himself a long time ago, but yesterday the office gave him a Dundee and it said world's best boss. He doesn't need to. He chunks the mug in the trash and he keeps the real one, an actual trophy that tells him he is the world's best boss. 
uh, given to him by his coworkers. If that doesn't sum up Michael Scott in one line, I don't know what does. Like, he's just, that's all he wants is validation for his, I don't know, just validation, I guess, in, in general. And the office gave that to him. Um, and he's just so happy he can toss his mug. Yeah, I mean, his mug was his very first thing he talked to us about and his, uh, his very, very first talking head back in episode one was people say I'm the best boss. I think this pretty much sums it up and he holds up this mug that he bought for himself. He says, I bought it at Spencer Gifts. And so for him to turn that over after being proud of it since episode one of the show, it, it it's great that he feels like he's at a point where he really is loved by his employees. And so he sets out with a list of everybody's name in the office and he tries to have a special moment with everybody at, at points. It's almost like he's the wizard of Oz handing people things at the end of the day. Uh, you know, uh, he, he, he says for Phyllis, I have a secret about her that I've kept for 20 years in high school. She was so cute and she still is. And he also gives her uh, little toy chattering teeth so, th so that she can remember to always speak her mind because she's shy and sweet and she doesn't always speak her mind. And at the same time with Phyllis, he's also rushing her to finish a gift that she is making for him, which are a knitted pair of mittens. And flashback again, this is to make up for the homemade oven mitt that she made him back in season two's Christmas party that he was so ungrateful for. So Michael is all about making amends with people this week, or not this week, today, in knowing that he is not going to be seeing anybody here after today. And of course, they don't know that. So for them, this is not necessarily like any other day in the office, but it's not tomorrow. Tomorrow's the big day. Tomorrow's the sad day. Tomorrow, they can be sad. Today, it's just essentially get business done. Um, so he gives Phyllis the chattered teeth. He gives Stanley some felt, as he calls it, or his miniature pool table. No balls or cue, but it's a symbol to encourage Stanley uh, not to lose his fun-loving side. And then, in the spirit of giving physical gifts, which this is one of the last ones he gives physically, um, he gives Andy, who needs confidence that he's a great salesman, Michael gifts his clients the 10 most important accounts. Uh, one of these is not like the other. And it's to Andy, who we have established. <laughs> the only time you need confidence in being a great salesman is when you're a great salesman. <laughs> so <laughs> you need not apply in this situation. Everybody in sales freaks out because they can't believe he gave Andy, the worst salesman, the 10 most important accounts. And despite Andy himself saying, you know, I'm going to lose these, right? Michael says, I, I believe in you. Believe in yourself. You can do it, buddy. And even uh, just a few minutes later, Andy's on the phone and he calls across the, the office to Michael and says, I, I, I lost Porter hardware. I lost it. And Michael is a little frustrated. Like, I can't believe you just lost that account that I've had all this time. But he just says, you know what? Just do your best, buddy. You can do it. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so bad. There's more to talk about Andy with his new clients later. And I'm sure we'll get into the other gifts in a minute. So I wanted to get a bit more on Michael's story for this episode. So Oscar asks Michael where he'd like his last paycheck sent. And Michael's not sure. He isn't going to be in Pennsylvania to receive it. He knows he's going to be in Colorado, but that's about all he knows. He doesn't have an address yet. Oh, he has one. He just doesn't know what it is. He doesn't even know what town he's living in 
where Holly's parents live. He doesn't even know which airport, essentially, he's flying into that evening. So he, this is sort of the start of his mental break for this episode, which gets quite bad. In his freakout moment, he takes out his world's best boss bug that he just threw away. He calls up Holly and he says, I'm just going to have to tell her I can't go as the phone's ringing. And so the phone's ringing. He's freaking out. He's crying. But as soon as she answers and he hears her voice, he's fine. He says, where do we live? Boulder. We're going to be in Boulder. And she says, hey, I can tell you're upset. Is everything okay? He says, yeah, I'm fine. It's okay. I just needed to hear your voice. And she then goofs off with him a little bit. And man, it's just amazing how healthy this relationship is for Michael and how much it has changed his life for the better. Really, truly. I mean, she calms him down so much without even trying. She knows something's up, but all she does is one goofy voice and he's okay. He's laughing again. He calms right down. Such a healthy, as you said, just like (laughs) so different than any relationship we've seen him in. But right before he makes that call, there's this really interesting scene in the break room. It's super brief and Michael doesn't even have any lines, but it's in the break room during lunch where Pam and a few others are talking. We can hear them, but we're really focused on Michael. The camera is, it's focused on him with just periphery of the others. And we can just see how freaked out he is. He's on the verge of tears. He's sitting alone. He's scared. It's such a powerful shot. Uh, He's just clearly feeling isolated and unsure of his decision maybe not unsure about holly just unsure if he's should he be moving does he need to he doesn't have a job over there yet i just always love that shot because he doesn't have to say anything but we know exactly what he's feeling right and it's at the end of this phone call with holly that he actually reveals yeah i'm actually leaving today and so that gives us a little bit of a glimpse into his mindset during that freak out is that Everyone thinks tomorrow is his last day. And here he is freaking out knowing that this is his last day. And he's with these people for the last time. And Jim throughout the episode keeps his eye on Michael. And he starts realizing that he's acting a little bit weird, uh, weirder than normal. And he figures out that Michael is leaving today and he confronts him about it. And this is probably the most emotional scene of the episode. You could argue that the the final scene with Michael is more emotional, but in any case, he says, Hey, Michael, let's do lunch tomorrow. Just you and me, your last day. And Michael sort of hems and haws. He, he, you know, he'd love it, but he can't because he's leaving today. And Jim says, you're not leaving tomorrow. You're leaving today. And it's, it's just like, it clicks with both of them. And Michael admits it. And Michael says, am I doing the wrong thing? And Jim, with 100% certainty, with 100% reassurance, says, absolutely not. It's just that sometimes goodbyes are a you-know-what. And Michael says, yeah, you know they are. And he starts to say goodbye because he's on the list. Jim has to get the check mark or the line through his name on his list, too. And he starts off, James Halpert, you have started with this company as a fine young man. And Jim interrupts him and he says, you know what we should do? I think we should just save the goodbyes for tomorrow at lunch. Michael doesn't really get it at first, but Jim continues. And then he says, and then tomorrow, I can tell you what a great boss you turned out to be. The best boss I ever had. And 
they're both fighting back tears. <laughs> and I am more than likely not fighting back tears. They've already broken through. <laughs> and for Jim, you just have to think about what's going into this. Aside from the whole real life drama of Steve Carell actually leaving and everybody loving him. For Jim, this is more than a boss-employee relationship, right? Michael, back in Booze Cruise, told him to never give up on being with Pam. He was there for Jim's wife. He was there for the birth of his child. They were co-managers together, where they actually had to rely on each other. They had to lead people together. This is just such a big moment for them, because they have been through so much together. And more than anybody else in this office, these two have a connection. And that's why that scene is so powerful. It's such a good scene. That one more than any other in this in this episode makes me tear up. But while all of that is happening, Pam has kind of been talking very casually all day about having to go price some new shredders. So she rushes out and says, hey, I'm going to go price some shredders. I'll be back late tonight or like late in the day. Michael doesn't really have time to stop her. He says, oh, oh, okay. And he's clearly concerned that he won't see her before he goes. So he tells us he's leaving for the airport at four. Cut to later in the episode, and it's three o'clock, and there's still no Pam. So that's sort of Pam's line in this episode um, that we'll finish later, but that's sort of going on for him. Pam is probably Pam and Jim are the two big names on the list. He really needs to say goodbye to them, more so than probably anyone else. So all during this, he's getting really anxious. And we see Pam actually head into a movie after her her errand. So that's all in the back of Michael's mind. During this, he has a really sweet moment with Aaron, where she's trying to decide what to do about Gabe and about Andy. Aaron says, I know Gabe's young and hot and everything. <laughs> sure. Uh, but he's begging me to reconsider breaking up with him. And I think I'm in love with someone else. Andy, of course. And Michael says, Aaron, listen to me. Don't rush into this at all. You are beautiful. You are fun. You are smart. When the right guy comes along, you will know it. And he kisses her on the forehead. And he says, you know what? I am a phone call away. You have my number. You can call me anytime. And it's such a, again, just the cherry on top of their pseudo father-daughter relationship. Aaron doesn't know her, her real father. And Michael has been such a father figure in her life. Um, at such a late age for her, but the most father figure she's ever had. Uh, and so that's sort of their seal for this episode. And did you mention her saying she wished she had a mom? No. Um, she also said, I wish I knew who my birth mother was so she could just tell me who to choose. And that's when Michael says, you don't need a mom because you have my number. So he's literally replace it he's he's saying i am putting myself in the role of a parent here contact me as a parent as you would a parent so truly i mean he he considers himself as much of a parent as anything else to to aaron and that's just it's what we've been suspecting all along and here he finally says it and it's just it's just good yeah and they're sitting on the bench where they sat together on secretary's day as well yeah again lots of good callbacks to older episodes uh full circle now Lots of other character things with Michael and other people that we can actually probably save for funny moments because they're pretty funny. Because, you know, he had his special moment with everybody. Um, but the other big one is Dwight. Because Dwight has been pretty 
maybe rightly, maybe, well, I, I'd say Dwight definitely has a reason to be upset with Michael these past few episodes. And to make amends, Michael says, here is a recommendation letter. And Dwight kind of scoffs at it at first. He takes it to the conference room for a talking head. He's just sort of laughing at it. And he says, oh, this is going to be good. And he opens it and says, okay, to whom it may concern. Oh, yeah, good. Real personal. Thanks, Michael. And he continues. And uh, here it comes. <laughs> the dictionary defines superlative as of the highest kind, quality, or order, surpassing all else or others. Supreme. That's great. If I wanted the dictionary definition, I'd, I'd buy a dictionary. <laughs> and then he continues. I define it as Dwight Schrute. As a sales executive, as a leader, as a man, and as a friend, he is of the highest kind, quality, and order. Supreme. And Dwight is fighting back tears this whole time. And again, we're fighting back tears because this is, I think, Michael realizing finally, finally, the relationship that he has with Dwight and how important it is, especially to Dwight, but how important it is to him as well, right? And I prefer to believe that Michael saw how upset Dwight was with him, realized the importance of a glowing letter of recommendation, and he put in as much effort into writing that letter as he could. Because again, he finally realized the importance of things. And he, he closes his relationship with Dwight in this episode by playing paintball with him which is again another callback and it's just it's wonderful yeah to to what season two christmas party yeah when when michael when he's gifted a paintball session with dwight so full circle once again and yeah as you said we can go into the other gifts probably in funny moments but so, so the last one now really is pam pam who is not here pam who is in a movie <laughs> And it's four o'clock and Michael's cab is here and he's heading down to the airport. He's walking slow to the cab and that's, he's trying to stall as much as he can because it's really important to him that he says goodbye to Pam. He's talking about how Holly is his family now and how the people you work with, well, when it comes right down to it, they're your very best friends, <laughs> which in his case, they absolutely are. So he gets in the cab and pulls out. And they leave. And right as they turn the corner, Pam's car comes rolling in and they just miss each other. It's absolutely heartbreaking. So we cut to him at the airport. He's gone through security. He's saying goodbye to the camera crew. He takes off his mic, gives it back to them and walks away. And then in a beautiful, absolutely wonderful moment of relief, we see Pam at the airport. Shoes off and running towards Michael and cameras are on them but microphones are off they hug we see her say something to him but we don't hear what it is they nod and he's off he turns around and walks to the airplane so that's that's it and then we get a talking cup with pam and she says no and she's i don't know if holding back tears is the right word she's definitely got tears at this point she says he wasn't sad he was full of hope about colorado he was hoping to get an upgrade as an awards member, and he said he's just really excited about getting home to see Holly. And I love that she said getting home, because that is home now. It's home now. Holly is home. And it's just, 
I think those were his words getting home. And it's, it's right. It's yes. She is your person. She is your home now. No matter where you are, she is your home. And it's just, I'm so glad that they finally get that moment, he and Pam, because that would have been, that would have been unfair (laughs) had they not gotten their, their hug. And so that's, that's Michael. Goodbye, Michael. He, he's gone, (laughs) which is sad to say, but again, I'll, I'll emphasize the show's not over. The show continues without Michael Scott and it is fine. And I'm excited to talk about it. But for now, let's talk about the other things that are happening in this episode. So D'Angelo in this episode, really, this is a D'Angelo slash Andy thing. So Andy got the big clients from Michael and he made a phone call to one of them and is going to go to this company to meet them face to face. And he says, hey, D'Angelo, I would like you as backup when I come and drop by this client later today. And we start to see more of D'Angelo's loose screws. He tells Andy that talking to the customer about customer service and about exceptional paper quality is a stupid idea. You have to have some sort of approach. Are you a veteran? Do I have a month to live? Are you going to get married tomorrow? And he takes Andy to an animal shelter on their way to get hyped up. And we learn how D'Angelo first met Joe, Joe Bennett, to be specific. He was broke. He was jobless. He was just walking along the street when he saw a guy trying to steal a lady's dog and he stopped him. So she hired him. And so that is how D'Angelo Vickers got a job at Sabre Dunder Mifflin. And that doesn't seem like a great resume to me. I think that is sort of bad, bad omen for things to come. And yeah. After that, things just sort of go downhill. Well, he his version of getting hyped up involves reenacting this dog thief situation and handing a dog to Andy and then saying, give me that dog. Give me the dog. It's not your dog. <laughs> and that's his he's just he's odd. And um, Andy is very uncomfortable at this point. And he's even more uncomfortable when they go into their meeting. And D'Angelo sort of takes the reins and he says, I would like to start off by saying I have not worked with Mr. Andy Bernard for a very long time. All I can say is he's no Michael Scott. And he sits, he, he gives this whole monologue that I won't read the whole thing, but about how Andy is, he is solidly fine, maybe less than fine. Maybe he's not great, but he's, he's okay. He's not great. (laughs) You're not going to be getting, you know, the best in the business, but you, you you might even be making the biggest mistake of your life or or the best and he's just the, it's, it's the least convincing sales pitch ever and he's just talking down andy he's like have you ever played russian roulette you're just spinning the chamber with this one like it's it's completely demeaning and and rude to andy and andy just has to sit there and listen to this and take it and because of d'angelo the sale is botched. I mean, the client is lost. And so they start to leave. D'Angelo's a little angry, says, yeah, it was a total waste of my time. Andy, after they have left, turns back and says, hey, I forgot my bag. Let me, let me go get it. And he goes to the client and he is able to convince him to stay with Dunder Mifflin. He says, if you need anything, day or night, I will be the one to take your call. And so ultimately, 
it worked out and he got the confidence boost he needed. Maybe he just needed to see an even worse salesman than him to boost his confidence. And turns out D'Angelo is a worse salesman than Andy. Congratulations. Doesn't really bode well for Dunder Mifflin Scranton if the boss, the regional manager, is the worst salesman of the office. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they have clients themselves, just like we learned Michael did. I mean, he handed all of his clients over to Andy. So D'Angelo will inevitably have clients as well. Not maybe the best leader, as you said. We also learn a bit about Phyllis. A small thing here. Not actually a small thing, but a very small scene. The, the scene you mentioned earlier about Michael saying uh, that he knew her in high school and all of that. Well, he says, I learned something about, about Phyllis in high school. And Phyllis tries to stop him. And she says, Michael, please don't. And Michael finishes and says, she was so cute. But we cut to Phyllis. And in a talking head, she says, I thought he knew about the baby I gave away in high school. So there's another tally on her checkered past. Yeah, just to, that's a little thing to tuck away for future reference. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to talk more about that right now. Now, Gabe is distraught, I think is the best word to describe him, after Aaron broke up with him during the Dundee's last episode. And he is on Andy's tail, despite nothing really happening at this point. But he knows or assumes that Andy still has interest in Aaron and maybe assumes that Aaron has a little bit of interest in Andy. And so he confronts Andy in the bathroom. says, hey, you, you need to stay away from Aaron. I, I'm your boss. He's such a pathetic little tall man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I think might be the most apt character description I've ever written about anybody. <laughs> and he's like crying as he confronts Andy in the bathroom. He later says, walk away after after Andy has already walked away. It's <laughs> like he's trying to be a tough guy to Andy's back where it doesn't matter. And later he follows Aaron to the women's bathroom. He says, hey, I need to talk to you. I respect your privacy, but I'll follow you in here every time you go if that's what it takes. And you'll tell your grandchildren about how their grandfather won her back in a women's room. She sends him away because it's gross. And she's very obviously disgusted by even the thought of getting back together with Gabe and having grandchildren with him down the road. And he says, hey, j just read the letter that I put under your windshield wiper for some reason. It explains everything. What is there to explain? Why is it under the windshield wiper? You work in the office. It, there's lots of things that do not make sense about Gabe. He's just being completely pathetic. And so see how they progress. Just very creepy. I, I didn't remember that being that creepy. And then I watched it again. I was like, okay, following another man into the bathroom is creepy. And then following a woman into the bathroom as a man is very creepy. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so he's clearly fallen off the rocker. One more little nugget to sort of tuck away, because there's something that's becoming more obvious. When Michael speaks with Angela and has his special moment with her, he gets her to show him photographs of her with the senator, Robert, sorry, state senator. And in all the pictures of their moments spent together, there is also a man in the photo. And it always appears in each photo that Robert is paying more attention to the man than to Angela. Now, remember, Oscar, from the very first moment he met Robert, was insistent that he was gay. And so we don't have official confirmation yet, although you, can, you might as well consider it at this point. Michael says, who's that other guy? Angela says, oh, that, that's Robert's aide, Thomas. 
And so it's seeming more and more likely that Oscar is absolutely correct. The gaydar is functioning. He has nailed it. Robert appears to be not what he says to be. Yeah, I had that in funny moments. And now that I look back, like that's the conversation is had in a funny manner, but it's not. (laughs) Angela might be very, very devastated if she were to find out if this is true. So yeah, definitely a character development moment. And then my very last thing is the final tag of the episode, because it leads into things to come. At one point in the episode, D'Angelo has a talking head where he says, I used to be obese. Once you've conquered obesity, everything else is easy. Now, because of the producer's cut of the last episode, we already knew that he was previously obese. Uh, In the Netflix version and the normal version that you see on TV, that's not in the episode Michael's Last Dundies, but we know that now. Or not Michael's Last Dundies, it would have been training day. And so at the final tag of the episode, while they're all waiting at Michael's party that Michael's not going to show up for because he left yesterday, D'Angelo speaks up and says, hey, if he's not going to make it, at least we should go ahead and eat the cake. He cuts a slice very neatly. He likes the corner, so he cuts the corner. And then despite Kevin sort of offering him a plate to put the slice of cake on, D'Angelo just bare fists it and grabs it and starts to take a bite. And he's like, wait, what am I doing? And he tosses it in the trash can. And then he says, hey, I've been good. I deserve this. And so he just grabs another slice, not even a slice, just a handful of cake off the other corner. And then again, what am I doing? No, D'Angelo, no, stop it. And he throws it in the trash can. And then he starts to like lean over and lick the cake and he stops himself from doing that. So there is something way off this rocker with this guy. There was a point earlier in the episode where he was like making some sort of weird chocolate rice crispy chicken. I don't know what was in it, but he was trying to cook it on the hot plate of the coffee maker. Dwight aptly sums up D'Angelo at the end of this episode. He just turns to Jim and says, uh oh, <laughs> I think that that that's it. That's I mean, here we go. Yep. Round two with the crazy boss. Well, we mentioned the uh, not so funny parts of the cold open. We should probably mention the funny parts. So Michael's moving to Colorado. So he is spending some time on the roof to, you know, get used to the altitude of Colorado. <laughs> as you do. He's sitting there in cowboy boots because that's the uniform. So Dwight comes to give Michael a snack. They are called Rocky Mountain Oysters. What Michael does not know is that those are bull testicles, which Dwight has prepared fresh this morning, I assume from his own bull. Keep in mind, he's still mad at Michael for not recommending him for the management position. So these, the snack is, of course, a, a trick. But then, as you mentioned, Michael tries to reconcile with Dwight by asking Dwight's advice about, okay, there are bears in the Rockies. Maybe, I don't know, what's the best thing I should do? Should I keep a, a, a salami on me in my pockets in order to, to feed the bears? And he's faking this ignorance so that Dwight feels valued and it works. Dwight, for a split second, is tricked into, he's still mad at Michael, but he, he has to give him this advice because he doesn't want Michael to become bear food. So he says, no, black bears can smell salami at five miles, Michael. What are you thinking? And they run faster than a horse. So if you were thinking about running one on a horse, I would try a cheetah. You in tight pants, Michael, are a salami to a black bear. (laughs) Oh, the imagery is great. 
And while he is giving his advice, Dwight takes one of the Rocky Mountain oysters and takes a bite out of it himself, which is funny because it's like he did this recently in a past episode where the trick wasn't him thinking that Rocky Mountain oysters or bull testicles were gross. The trick was knowing that Michael would think it was gross. Right. And, and so he still gets a snack himself. He gets a snack. You <laughs> trick Michael. He gets a snack. It's a great, great. Uh, in regards to michael tossing his world's best boss mug uh, i just wanted to picture something because remember michael has a whole bunch of world's best boss mugs that he bought for himself we saw in a deleted scene i don't remember what the context was for the deleted scene but he broke one he opened up a box and there were a whole bunch of world's best boss mugs. And so right. him tossing out this one, I just have this picture in my head of him taking that box of mugs and just like tossing it out to the dumpster. And so you go out <laughs> to the dumpster and there's just like broken world's best boss mugs in the ruins of the, tr- of the dumpster in the trash. I think that'd be so funny. It's just something that came to mind in that moment. It doesn't need him anymore. Let's go over a couple of the other special moments with employees of the office so kevin was the next chronological one that we didn't mention kevin it appears that michael's going to give kevin a rude gift a poster with a drawing of kevin as a pig eating a slice of pizza it takes kevin a second to realize why this would be offensive and but he gets there and then michael tears it up in front of him and tells him to never be a caricature i get what he's trying to do but it's still pretty mean And he tells him that he will be thin. He will find love. Kevin tells Michael, you know, I'm pretty much okay with who I am now. Michael says, don't ever settle for who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay. Again, I get what you're trying to say, but it's not good. He is trying and he just does not know the correct approach. He doesn't have that that HR training that Toby probably (laughs) has. For Oscar, Michael made him... Well, Michael says, you are very smart. You have a gigantic education. You are like my scarecrow because you gave me a brain. So again, Wizard of Oz. And so as a gift to Oscar, he has made him a small scarecrow that is basically like a flap of burlap with twine wrapped around it and a crudely drawn face on it. And Oscar just sort of takes it as like, Okay, thank you. you. Uh, And we cut to Michael in a talking head, and he is just losing it. He he says it looks like it was made by a two-year-old monkey on a farm. And keep in mind, he is he's laughing. He's in that high-pitched register that Michael goes to sometimes. He says he just accepted that I put all this all this work into it. He has the lowest opinion of me of anybody. That he just had to take it. <laughs> that he like forced this gift upon Oscar and forced him to be gracious in accepting it when he knew that Oscar would not appreciate it. It's his own gift in a way when, when Michael talks to Toby and Toby says, okay, so first of all, Michael talked to Toby at all, which is remarkable. He wanted a special moment with Toby. Okay. Toby mentions that, hey, I actually have a brother named Rory who also lives in Boulder. I should connect you. And instead of saying anything negative, a very grimaced Michael says, okay. He doesn't insult him at all. He just talks to him in a very pained manner. And then we get this great conversation between Toby and Rory. They're Skyping or on video camera. 
and we get to kind of meet Rory and he is somehow an even dorkier Toby. He says, I think you guys would hit it off. And, and Rory says, I can bring him a welcome basket. I'll surprise him. Like he almost seems more like a troot than anybody. Toby says, well, give him time to settle in, you know, give him a minute. Rory says, well, does he like jams? My shelves are overflowing with preserves. <laughs> Toby says, no, no, he hates jams. <laughs> Don't bring him jams. Rory, I wish we got more with him, but as far as I remember, that's that's all we get with Rory. Yeah, and we can go ahead and mention uh, that Rory is actually played by Paul's brother, Warren, who I don't know if it was at this time or not, but for a time, for like 10 years, Warren Lieberstein was actually married to Angela Kinsey. And he wrote a couple of episodes of The Office as well. So he's been involved with the show. He's yet another writer turned actor for the show. So that's very cool. And that's why they look so similar as well. It's not Paul Lieberstein and like makeup or anything. Or luck. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kelly, his Michael's gift to Kelly is to just leave her alone, which is fine with her. And then for Ryan, he gifts Ryan the St. Pally girl sign from dinner party and from a uh, garage sale. And he says, uh, she was once my girl and she is your girl now. Ryan just says, wow. This is totally unnecessary because, of course, it's lit up. The entire room is glowing blue. Michael says, you're not prone to seizures. Because <laughs> it's in Ryan's teeny tiny closet office. Right. <laughs> I like this one. He gives Daryl his only copy of Somehow I Manage, his business management book. He uh, also asks Daryl if he can use the baler. Daryl says no. So Michael goes immediately down to the warehouse and tells them that, hey, Daryl said I could use the baler because I'm leaving. And they immediately say no. <laughs> and on his way out, he picks up a basketball and tries to shoot it over his shoulder and keeps saying, catch you on the flippity flip. He misses, of course. And he repeats that several times. Catch you on the flippity flip. And like the sun is setting. We cut back to him later and the sun is clearly setting. So he has spent some time down here not getting to say goodbye to some of the people he's wanted to say goodbye to because he is trying, he needs the shot. This is like his goodbye to the basketball net. He has to do it. And he finally does it. And he's really well, okay. <laughs> and so they, they, uh, he can finally go back upstairs. Yeah. He's, he's proud. Like he got it on his first try rather than his 500 after right. an hour or two of doing this. Uh, I also love that he gives the business book to Daryl. He says, if anyone, if there's anyone here who can finish it, it's you. And remember, Michael thought it was the craziest thing when Daryl was promoted by Joe up to the office. So again, trying to make amends. It's really great. One last personal moment he has with people. He triples up because he's trying to save time because he's spending too much time trying to get over the head basketball shots. Uh, he gets Creed, Gabe, and Meredith in the room together. And he goes... To each one down the row, as he says this next part, he says, whether you're scared of dying, Creed, or dying alone, Gabe, or dying drunk in a ditch, Meredith, don't be. It's going to be okay. It's nice advice. It's, it's, it's nice encouragement from Michael. He also gives Gabe some direct advice, which is phrased like it's going to be about relationship troubles, but instead he says, everyone gets dumped, Gabe. Can I give you a piece of advice? A little cover-up on your Adam's apple will make it appear smaller and make you look less like a transvestite. <laughs> uh, no one asked, but okay. <laughs> and then I wanted to go into Phyllis's gift to Michael a little bit further. 
because these mittens, wow, the most high maintenance mittens I've ever heard of. She says, you can't get them wet. They can't be dry cleaned either. You have to hand wash without water, wring dry gently, and use a hairdryer on cool. He will never use these. Or but the thought is never nice. Wash them. Or, or never wash them. That's fair. <laughs> um, but you also can't get them wet. So no snow. Can't wear them when it's snowing. <laughs> Impractical gift, but he appreciates it still. Yeah. When he hands Andy the 10 clients, he says, you're a capable salesman. You sold us all on Andy, a product nobody wanted. <laughs> and uh, he also approaches Angela when he has the moment with her. He says, was it just me? Or did you think that we were going to have sex at some point? And Angela just says, it was just you. It was just Michael you. says, how would you have wanted to do it? Oh, okay. Okay. Inappropriate. It, you know what? Inappropriate. He, he didn't catch himself soon enough to not say it, but at least he didn't try and drag it out. And then I like, you mentioned the pictures with, with the state senator earlier with Robert, but I really like how when Angela said, do you want to see some pictures? And Michael says, sure. <laughs> and he's just like, mm-hmm. oh, these, yeah, rollerblading. These are great. Like, it's like looking at a picture of someone's kids that you don't care they've showed you 20 pictures in the last 20 minutes it's like i don't care you know he's just appeasing her this is sort of part of his gift to her is okay i'll look at your state senator very good that senator could be on a show called senators <laughs> care about <laughs> <laughs> michael calls a conference or meeting towards the end of the day probably three o'clock three thirty, and he doesn't really have a subject it's just like he's trying to experience everybody in the room at the same time for the last time and so everybody's asking what's this about what's this about and not being able to think of anything else he says i have somebody who wants to say goodbye for the last time so he walks out the door he comes back and he has his ping voice on and so he says goodbye to everybody as ping and the only person who's happy about it is kevin yeah that's that's michael's stalling mechanism this time around michael also when he isn't sure of the town he's moving to in Colorado, he guesses Mountainton. I mean, as far as guesses of towns in Colorado, it's not the worst guess. And Kevin just says, oh, sounds beautiful. (laughs) But again, also, how does he not know where he's moving? That would terrify me to my very core. (laughs) Yeah, but I I think it's touching that he doesn't care where he's going as long as it's with Holly. You know, it sort of ties it easy, but it it does tie into that idea. Michael's just like, I'm going with Holly and that's all I know. Yeah, wherever. D'Angelo, driving Andy to the business meeting, he says, do you know how to high five? Because if you do, now's the time. And Andy tries to high five him and he says, nope, not while I'm driving. (laughs) At one point we see D'Angelo, when he's talking about being obese, he says, once you've conquered obesity, everything else is easy. You mentioned that earlier. During his monologue there, we see him basically caressing Hershey's bar through the glass of the vending machine. He's just, he's clearly got some food impulse issues because he is just petting this Hershey's bar through the window. The conversation had in the break room during lunch, Kevin, or Pam says, yeah, I'm going to go price shredders for the office later today. Kevin says, finally, that old shredder sucked. Pam says, it's a good shredder. It just keeps breaking. Kevin says, yeah, won't shred magazines. Pam says, it's not supposed to shred magazines, Kevin. I know. 
Jim speaks up. Did you break the shredder, Kevin? Kevin says, no, it's just that old shredder sucks. Just get one that'll shred magazines. And Pam just says, I don't think any of them are supposed to shred magazines. <laughs> I think they're shredding wrong. The party planning committee, the A team of the party planning committee, is having this whole debate over what type of cake. Is it going to be cupcakes? Do we want a sheet cake? Meredith is quick to suggest an erotic cake. Uh, Phyllis actually is on board. She says, you know, I'd like to hear this out. Um, I, I would like to hear more about these cakes. Meredith says, I know these Ethiopians that run a cake shop and they make them wild. I mean, they show everything. Pam starts to sort of, oh, I don't know if we should do that. Meredith says, I know what you're thinking, but it's, I don't even like saying this. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, but it's not just black. They do it all. And the women on these cakes, they're not just guys' fantasies. They have real full women. It is refreshing. And then Phyllis says, as someone who buys a lot of erotic cakes, it feels good to be represented on one. <laughs> Why is um, a lot of erotic cakes? No. Why? Just no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you would need so many. My last one, I think, when Gabe comes, when Gabe follows Aaron into the restroom, uh, she is scorning Gabe for being in the women's restroom. And then she turns and just casually says hi to Creed as he walks out of the stall. And Creed turns to Gabe and just says, not cool, man, as he zips up his fly and walks out. Which I think last time we saw him in there was Women's Appreciation in season three, where he says, I pay dearly for this right. He's still doing it. He's still using women's restrooms. We had several deleted scenes for this episode. Many, many. There's an alternate scene with Michael and Stanley. Michael reads a poem. He says, do you hate that I am proud and brown and standing here alive with baby oil on my Nubian thighs? I will survive. I will survive. Big Mama Angelou. Now, this is not a real Maya Angelou poem, as far as I can tell, as far as Google has told me. And when Michael sees that Stanley's doing a crossword, he wants to do, quote, one last crossword together as brothers. Now, when have Stanley and Michael ever completed a crossword puzzle together? I would say never. And Stanley probably thinks that too, because he refuses. Michael tries to pry the crossword from Stanley's hands and it falls to the ground, except, oops, it's not a crossword, it's hentai, and Stanley says, it's art. It is weird, is what it is. Oops. I'm glad that cut, like, okay. Yep, that's Stanley has very out of character. Oh no, thank you. Yeah, it's enough going on this episode. <laughs> we see the impetus for Andy going out on the business meeting. He's on the phone with Mr. Lawson. He at first calls him Lawston, so not off to a good start. He says, you know, with you as my client, I think about you day and night. I think about you in the shower. Uh, that came out wrong. It's not like I masturbate at the thought of you or anything. And then obviously that makes it worse. He says, no, no, please don't do anything over the phone. To be honest, I'm just really intimidated by your deep voice right now. Could I have the opportunity to meet in person to make a final plea, please? And he accepts, and after Andy hangs up the phone, Stanley, who's been sitting there watching and observing and just rolling his eyes at Andy this whole time, says, I'll give you a dollar for the rest of your clients. <laughs> Think about it. Insinuating, yeah, if you get a dollar from me now for the, the rest of these clients, that's more than you'll get from any of the rest of them if you keep it up. I like that deleted scene. Yeah. There's an extended scene where Michael's in the break room meeting alone, listening to Kevin talk about shredding magazines as he just went over. Jim asks if Michael's all right. Which, of course, in the original, or in the aired version, rather, no one talks to Michael. He's just sort of observing. 
So Michael blames his tears on the cowboy boots, which he says are hurting his feet. He tosses the boots in the trash and runs away. Creed asks if he thinks that it's really about the boots, and when Pam says no, Creed takes the boots out of the trash and uh, takes them for himself, because of course. And that continues in a later deleted scene, uh, in the scene where he calls in the three of them, uh, Creed, Gabe, and Meredith, to talk to them. As he was saying goodbye to Creed, Gabe, and Meredith, Michael asked Creed, who is now wearing the boots that he took out of the trash can, if he could have his boots back. He says, I'm going to give him another try. And Creed says, I'd love to help you out, boss, but it doesn't work that way, and you know it. And Michael just sort of smiles and nods. <laughs> He's like, I know, I was worth a shot. <laughs> And then uh, just to finish that scene off, he's talking to Meredith. I I mentioned that he talked to Angela about having sex at some point. And so he tells Meredith, I actually thought that you and I were going to have sex as well. And she says, are you sure we didn't? Next says, no, we didn't. And I could not be more proud of that. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of us. I'm just, we made it. Dodged a bullet. And she (laughs) says, well, it ain't over till it's over. And he just dismisses her and says, goodbye, dear. (laughs) Like, nope, we made it this far. I'm not doing it now. Michael video chats with David Wallace. So we get a visual of David for this episode. Michael asks him if he ever regrets leaving Dunner Mifflin. And David says, you know what? About 90% of every day I regret leaving. But don't feel badly about it. So many places are getting downsized. Michael shouldn't feel ashamed. When Michael tells him, no, 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 this was my idea. I didn't get fired. I'm leaving to go to Colorado with Holly. David says, sure, and I left to go, quote, spend some time with my kids. Michael assures him, I did not get fired. David says, okay, well, if that's true, that is a terrible decision. Do not leave. He does not believe that Michael's telling the truth, and if he is, do not do it. He says, plus, everyone's racist in Colorado, and women don't shave, no one reads. (laughs) And Michael just hangs up on him. He's not having that. And that gives Jim's absolutely not in the episode more meaning because Michael had listened to David Wallace tell him how bad this idea of his was that he should absolutely not move to Colorado, that he shouldn't quit his job. And then later in the episode, he asks, Jim, am I doing the wrong thing? And Jim 100% says, absolutely not. So I can only imagine how reassuring that was for Michael to hear that from somebody like Jim. Now, next deleted scene, uh, walking up to the business for the meeting, D'Angelo says, hey, Andy, are you ready for this? And he says, I guess. D'Angelo says, I guess. Now's not the time to be the funny guy, Andy. Now's the time to save the dog. And then he like hocks up some phlegm and spits it into the road before heading inside. Thanks for that, D'Angelo. The party planning committee is now about, oh, nine or ten people. Ryan is in the PPC in the cake debate, and he's arguing against cake. He says it's too Norman Rockwell. You know, unless we're going for a Norman Rockwell thing, in which case, go for it. (laughs) Creed argues for Jell-O, because teeth or no teeth, anyone can enjoy it. (laughs) Jim suggests cupcakes. They've been down that route, and he gets yelled at, which was a funny moment I meant to mention, and I didn't. Kelly suggests cupcakes, because she's one of the few people that looks good, or that looks sexy, eating a cupcake, in her words. I didn't know that was a a skill set. (laughs) Daryl thinks that they're overthinking the cake thing. Why don't they just get a cake? Meredith agrees. She wants to know if Daryl would be interested in a cake that's both delicious and sexy. (laughs) Daryl is interested. (laughs) 
<laughs> Meredith has a talking head then. This is a big chunk of party planning extra scenes, but Meredith has a talking head. She says the best erotic bakers are foreigners. In their country, they were doctors or master artists, but over here, she says the only opportunity they have is to be erotic bakers. And then back at the meeting, Aaron suggests fruit instead of cake, and everyone just stares at her and she adds, well, with yogurt, obviously, fruit by itself, gross. <laughs> <laughs> and then at this point, we see Kevin staring from outside and he has a talking head where he says, I know what they're talking about. It's about cake and they didn't ask me. And he gets emotional. He says, of, of all the people to not ask about cake. And so he confronts <laughs> Angela about it. He says, I know what you did. You invited everyone into the conference room to talk about cake. And I was omitted. I was omitted. And Angela just calmly asks, didn't you decide you weren't going to be a caricature? He says, oh, yeah. I decided I wasn't going to be a caricature. Shoot. <laughs> philosophy is not going to be easy. It's hard. <laughs> Because it's important. Pause. But it could also be hard because I shouldn't be doing it. And then he just sits for a second thinking about this dilemma. Which one is it? <laughs> There's an extended uh, Jim and Michael goodbye scene. Michael says, well, I'm very sorry that I'm leaving you with D'Angelo. That guy is a weirdo. Jim asks him if he has any job prospects in Colorado. And Michael says he has a job interview on Monday with a paper company. In Colorado, he says that they make movie tickets. About 40% of all movie tickets are made with their paper. So he said it kind of combines his two loves, which that would just be so ideal for him. I love that. That is so great for him. The last non-talking head deleted scene is Michael hanging out in the lobby. He's looking out at his taxi before leaving, and he decides to buy a coffee from Hank. And so he goes over to Hank and he says, you know what? I will take a small coffee. He puts $20 in the tip jar, a $20 bill. Hank says, that'll be $6. Michael says, can't you just take it out of the 20? Hank says, oh, so now I'm buying you coffee. <laughs> and Michael says, well, that, that's, that's still a $14 tip. And then just sort of to himself as he scratches Hank's name off the list, can't believe that you're my last goodbye because <laughs> he hasn't said goodbye to Pam yet at this point. And he gets to pay $26 for a small coffee. <laughs> <laughs> And then, as you said, there are a few talking heads left. Angela's first. She says, how do I feel about Michael leaving? I can tell you what I'll tell everyone who asks. I can confirm that he worked here during those dates. <laughs> Factual. Oscar says, Michael once asked me if gay guys squeezed each other's boobs. I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan talking head. He says, Michael had quite a way with words. And now you can play clips of him messing up words. Or not, whatever. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. Ugh, you're the okay. one. Like he's trying to be funny. Yeah. Or clever. And then the last talking head, the last deleted scene is from Kelly. She says, I'm sorry. Can we just talk about the way that Ryan was acting today? He gets into this whole aloof, don't talk to me mood. But then if I ignore him, he gets angry because I ignore him all day. So then I finally do talk to him. And then he's like broody and it's one syllable grunts. I just... Tell me what I'm supposed to do, Ryan. Just tell me. While everyone's talking about Michael, she is not <laughs> concerned. I'm sorry. Can we just talk about the way Ryan was acting today? <laughs> we also got a commentary for this episode, which thank goodness, because this episode deserves all the bonus. It had Brian Baumgartner, David Rogers, the editor, Greg Daniels, who wrote this episode, and Ellie Kemper. The first shot with Michael on the roof 
It's got beautiful blue skies, but then the sun was in Rain's eyes, so they had to put up a screen. So the rest of the shots look overcast. So you kind of get two distinct looks for this one scene. And they filmed this on the roof of the writer's building. They prepared different versions of, of this episode that were the 21-minute normal episodes or maybe two 21-minute normal episodes or a full hour-long episode. Or what we eventually got was the 36-minute cut. is like a supersized episode that wasn't quite an hour. One of the things that sort of lended towards them getting that extra size episode episode was Michael's outside scene with Aaron. The 21 minute cut didn't include that scene and they thought it was really important for that relationship to include it. And so it was one of the reasons why they pushed for the 36 minute cut. And there were other things that they ended up shooting additionally, even after Steve's last day, they ended up coming back and filming some stuff uh, to get to that 36 minutes rather than just using deleted footage that had already made it to the chopping board. Uh, like the scene where Toby talks to Rory was one of the additional scenes. Uh, the first mention of the erotic cakes, or one of the mentions of the erotic cakes was filmed after the fact. Gabe following Aaron into the bathroom was something that they shot after the fact. So it, it was interesting to, to hear them talk about how they wanted it to be certain lengths and they had to sort of just adjust as they went before they knew what the final cut was going to be. As we sort of alluded to in our discussion, Greg Daniels said that this was a greatest hits, essentially, of scenes in the episode. So a lot of the stuff from season one or early seasons, it's referred to, it's referenced, um, or recreated even in this episode. So recalling the first party planning committee scene with Michael and the birthday cake, as we mentioned, even Pam, when she responded to what kind of topping she'd like when she says hot fudge. Greg mentions that that's such a season one Pam reply, just very meek and quiet. The shot of the world's best boss Dundee through the blinds is just like the one in the opening credits of Michael's Dundee. Phyllis's mittens are a reference, as we mentioned, to the first Christmas episode where Michael rejects Phyllis's oven mitt. And you can absolutely tell, even without watching the commentary, that there's so much referenced to early seasons. Um, this is almost like a series finale in its own little way, just of the longevity of Steve's time in the cast. And because they knew that everybody was going to be tuning in to watch Steve Carell's last episode on the show, they tried to make sure that they set up some things that might continue for future episodes. I don't want to highlight those specifically because, again, we're trying to not spoil the future. But just keep in mind a couple of the details, a couple of the things we alluded to in our discussion and those things are going to be the continuing threads as we push forward. This is a small one, but Greg Daniels said that he's not sure if this is necessarily a comedic episode. He calls it nostalgia-y. <laughs> a lot of nostalgia, a little bit of comedy. They saved a lot of the more emotional scenes for Steve's last day of shooting, starting with the scene in the break room where they're talking about the shredder and Michael's just sort of in the background crying. That started shooting at like 7 a.m. And the rest of the day was just all the scenes where Michael cries, basically. <laughs> Greg wrote the scarecrow bit from Michael to Oscar. Uh, and he had the description for the prop doll that Michael gives Oscar, but he never paired it in his mind for whatever reason that Michael was giving Oscar a scarecrow. I'm not really sure how that works, but yeah, he was never able to pair it in his head that, that Michael was giving Oscar a scarecrow, even though he had just described a scarecrow i don't really understand but that's what he said <laughs> <laughs> it, 
they did talk about how great it was to have Will Ferrell in the cast or on the set during such like an emotional time in the show because he brought this positive, happy energy where everybody else was kind of sad. He mentioned at one point that Angela Kinsey was basically crying a lot of shooting through this episode because of the reality of Steve leaving. And so uh, Will Ferrell was like a, a refreshing part of the cast. They actually talked about publishing Somehow I Manage for many years, and uh, I would be absolutely interested if that <laughs> were ever to be released. I doubt at this point it will be, but uh, they did talk about releasing it. They'd have to include the chapter on gum. That, that, I mean, that's yes. like essential. It's a good chapter. <laughs> Greg Daniels, as we said, he wrote the episode. He said he actually got choked up writing the scene with the recommendation letter. Uh, like in the coffee shop he was writing it at, he was like sitting there choking back tears as he was writing it because uh, he just struck a chord with himself, I guess. It's powerful when you know that the writer of the material is being emotionally affected by it as well. When Pam goes to the movie theater, which I briefly mentioned, you can see a, briefly, you can see a Bridesmaids poster, the movie Bridesmaids, which was a little shout out to the movie that Paul Feig directed, which of course he directed this episode as well. So that's, that's kind of funny. There was an alternate version of the scene where D'Angelo celebrates getting the sale with Andy after Andy actually made the sale and came out. But the the alternate version had Andy coming out after making the sale and then D'Angelo would drag him back in saying something to the effect of because it's not about the sale, it's about making a point. And because they go back in and start doing whatever, they end up losing the sale again. So I'm, I'm glad they cut that because I liked Andy having his little victory. The cowboy boot story, which was, of course, cut, but Creed taking Michael's cowboy boots was based on a real story that Greg had when he worked at SNL. They had a pair of painful, very painful cowboy boots that he had tossed in the trash and someone picked them up and wore them every single day at work. <laughs> so real life. I love that it was Steve's idea. Have everyone not know that it was Michael's last day. That, yeah. Steve's idea. That's genius. That's so good. It was also Paul, the director's idea to film Michael uh, getting in the elevator at the end of the day and the door closing on him. It's sort of like that shot we talked about at the end of training day where Michael's office was on one side and the conference room was on the other and it was divided down the middle and they were secluded on their own. Here we have the, the elevator centered in the shot and the door closes on Michael until we don't see him anymore. And so it's just a, it's a good sort of finality to the character as he's leaving the office. Steve's last scene that they shot was actually his last scene in the office. It wasn't the airport scene, but it was, it was when he's leaving the office and there were tons of people in the wings of the set, just off camera watching the scene, including Steve's wife, Nancy, of course, who played Carol stills, lots and lots. I mean, probably the entire cast and crew essentially watching Steve's last scene. And just a note about that, that last scene Originally, on his way out, he was going to turn the lights off, despite it only being four o'clock. But it didn't read the way that they wanted it to. It, it either read one of two ways. The first way was everybody got mad at Michael for turning off the lights, and it ruined the mood of him leaving for the audience members, basically. Or it read as like a message from Steve Carell turning off the lights on the show, as if he was saying, the office isn't going to be any good without me. And so I'm, I'm glad they ended up cutting it because I could definitely understand like internet speculation. Yeah, which of course is not at all what they would have intended. And since I know Steve Carell so personally, uh, no, I, I obviously don't. But I think given what I know about him, he would not even slightly want anyone to think that as he is known as a very, very humble and good person. So he would want to leave the show with every 
positive intention. Also that it was interesting that they filmed, I think this is my last one, they filmed the airport scene in an unused terminal of an airport in Ontario. So they didn't have to recreate that set, which would be very expensive, I would imagine. They used a functioning airport, but a terminal of it was empty. Yeah, but the 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 plane that Pam watches to take off, they actually had to wait an hour and a half in yeah. this airport for it to happen. So they were just waiting around for a plane to take off. So apparently not a very busy airport. <laughs> to close off discussion on the episode, I have the discussion topic. Um, maybe an easy question, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyways. Why, like, can you nail down a reason why Michael lied to everybody about this not being his last day? I almost mentioned this in the episode, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't because it's your discussion topic. I think it's more for him than for anyone else. I think if he lets himself kind of realize that it's his last day, he will lose it. <laughs> and he may not, I don't think necessarily that he wouldn't go. If he realized, but I think maybe he would just be far too emotional and kind of be a mess. So it's for his sort of like what Jim does for him. I'll tell you tomorrow what a good boss you are. This is all metaphoric for him. It's okay. I'm not, I, I'm saying goodbye tomorrow. You know, it's, it's, I think he's just holding it together. Right. I, I, I mean, that's exactly what I put. I think he just knew that he couldn't handle everyone knowing it's his last day and treating him like it's his last day and saying goodbye to him like it's his last day. Uh, but a follow-up question, do you think that Michael leaving without a proper goodbye hurt anyone's feelings? Like the only thing I'm picturing in my head is the next day, here they are standing in the conference room for a party meant for Michael yeah. and he's never going to show up to it. I did think about the party and how awkward that must have been. Okay, any minute, he'll show up and he never does. And okay. no. <sighs> I don't know that it would hurt people's feelings. It might. It would probably, frankly, hurt Dwight's feelings quite a bit, given how close they were for a long time and, and probably how they are at this point, given how they ended things. I don't know that people would easily feel hurt by that, though. I think they would get it. But it's a risky move for sure. I think maybe people's feelings would have been hurt initially, like yeah, yeah. towards the end of the workday when he just hasn't shown up at all and they've waited for him. But I think once they thought back to the day before and about how intentional he was about having a moment with each of them, uh, I think they would have realized, oh, he was trying to spare all of us from emotional goodbyes. He was trying to spare himself from an emotional goodbye too. But with his intentionality in having that moment with us, it, it makes it almost more meaningful. And I'd like to think that maybe even Jim spoke up at some point and said, hey, everybody, We've been waiting for a while. This is why this is what happened. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that. Right. Well, okay. We have a few voicemails to listen to before we wrap up Michael's last episode. Okay. First up is Steve from Minnesota. Hi, Chad and Katie. This is Steve from Apple Valley, Minnesota. I was just curious, with Goodbye Michael coming up, if you could give us your best and worst Michael moments. Thanks for taking the call. Bye. Okay. Best and worst Michael moment, Katie. What do you got? I would have to say it's probably easier to start with worst. Worst might be now, are we talking behavior wise? Probably behavior wise. I mean, Scott's tots, but the part we didn't see where he promised everyone <laughs> or I don't know. This is difficult for me to, I'm, I'm not good at picking superlative like things but best 
best would probably be his proposal to Holly. It's one of his most emotionally mature moments in the entire series. And I think as soon as he realizes he needs to be with Holly, he ages 20 years in a good way, emotionally. Um, He's just a complete whole person at this point. And this is not a great answer, but yeah, those are, those are my arbitrary answers at this time. I think worst is hard for me as well. Um, Maybe one that comes to mind is how he treats Phyllis in Christmas party back in season two, how Mm. ungrateful he is. Uh, Another moment is when Daryl is promoted and Michael fights against it when, when Daryl goes behind his back, you know? So those, those are things that come out when he's trying to demean other people uh, or down other people and what they do. But easy best one for me and it's it's probably the moment i refer to the most or have referred to the most is business school when michael goes to pam's art show mm-hmm. and says how proud he is of her and buys her artwork and is just super proud of her i, I mean I, that's an easy best moment for me i just love how good he makes pam feel in a moment when she is not feeling good about herself or the people around her I think I finally pegged what it was about that moment that made me love that moment so much is what Pam is feeling there. I want a Michael Scott in my life (laughs) to do that for me. You know what I mean? It's like, I want somebody to do that and say like, hey, I'm proud of you. I value what you do. That's such a great moment between the two of them. And everyone deserves what Michael gives Pam in that moment. You know? Of course. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Our next voicemail is from Carolyn. She has a response to a voicemail we got last time. Hi, Chad and Katie. My name is Carolyn, and I am calling in response to the question you had on your most recent podcast about the caller who just said a miracle whip. I believe it's in reference to Jim from season two, or uh, yeah, season two when he and Pam are doing impressions, and and Jim is doing the impression of Stanley, saying, "I enjoy the tasty sip of miracle whip." So I believe that's what that's in reference to. Anyway, I hope you guys are um, having a great day and keep up the great work. Thank you. Bye. Okay. So yes, thank you, Carolyn, for pointing out what the reference was to. We did know, but we <laughs> appreciate the the feedback. But what we're, we're what we're concerned about maybe is <laughs> we don't know why someone left it as a random voicemail. But something, Carolyn, that I really did appreciate was the impression of the impression. So that is the impression of Jim's impression of Stanley, but also the impression of the impression of the impression. Uh, so thank <laughs> of you. Of the caller. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the, it's the caller impersonating Jim impersonating Stanley. Yeah. Right. And to be fair, we didn't make it clear last episode that we knew what it was from. And maybe there's people out there who did not know what it was from. To be very specific, it is Jim doing an impersonation of Stanley back in drug testing in season two. I enjoy the tangy zip of Miracle Whip. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that's the one. So we're we're still waiting on answers for why it was sent as a voicemail. Not that it hasn't entertained us. Reveal yourself, caller. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And our last voicemail is from Nathan from Ohio. Hi, Chad and Katie. This is Nathan, uh, Sydney, Ohio. I've talked to both of you, one on Facebook, one on email, and a couple things. One. Am I the only one that absolutely was drove nuts the whole hay bale episode when it was clearly straw? Both of you being from Texas, I don't know why you didn't pick up that, but it was driving me nuts. Uh, two, 
I don't remember what. Oh, yeah, I remember. So I've been to the last four or five up or last, yeah, four or five episodes. So I just want to say happy birthday to Chad, even though it's way past your birthday. But when I was listening, just like when I wished Katie a happy engagement when it was past hers. So love what you guys do. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. And that's it. Okay. So, yeah, thank you from Nathan. I didn't know that it was like a regional thing, maybe that there's straw versus hay. Uh, maybe it's because I am not a very rural man. I am more of a city guy or a suburban guy, however you want to think about it. Didn't bother me that they said hay place instead of straw place. But anyways, thanks for the happy birthday. <laughs> I had no idea that there was like a regional difference. I'm from Texas and I've always said hay. I don't know. You had horses. And I had horses. I was a stereotypical Texan person who wrote, who rode horses. So I, we always called it hay, but I don't know. Yeah. So maybe it's not as regional as you think, Nathan, but who knows? I don't know. Yeah, Nathan. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for calling anyway. <laughs> that is the end of the official 80th episode of An American Workplace. Big number for a big episode. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Please continue going over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and hit that subscribe button. It helps us out. And if you have any feedback or ideas or just want to say hi, you're certainly welcome to email us, workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you would like to leave a voicemail and be featured on the show, uh, you can call us at 93-PRETZ-DAY, that is P-R-E-T-Z-D-A-Y, or the full number is 937-738-9329. Remember, if you want to be heard on the show, leave it under a minute, be specific with what you're talking about, and we'd be happy to play. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is also on Twitter at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, also Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins, and my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where other podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 80 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 81 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season seven, The Inner Circle and Dwight K. Schrute, acting manager. Bye. Bye. Michael. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> and post it all to socials. It's if all- I do delay when you cue me in, it's because the video was a bit delayed, but hopefully it won't be Post too. it all to socials. Oh. It's if all- I do delay, sorry, I just heard like our conversation for the last minute overlapping in the, my the video, uh, the the live stream opened in another video and it started once I hit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is published, and once I have the link.
But yes, if I do delay when you cue me in, it's because there's a delay in the video. Okay. There's you know, but hopefully your audio for a second, but that's all right. That's not not gonna goodness. Some days just aren't podcasting days. Apparently. Goodness. Um that that and hashtag the office. And retweeting it. Okay, I am ready when you are. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I'm losing you again. Oh. Hello, hello. Hello. Can I you hear me? Yeah. Okay. And you ready? Let's give it a shot. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Go. It didn't work. Hold on. <laughs> of course it didn't. Wow. This is this is hilarious. Now um podcasting. Don't try this at home. Okay. I wonder what the live stream looks like. Hey, when you cue me in, it's because okay. That's my voice. Hey, when you cue me in. Oh. Ignore that. All right, let's try this again when you're ready. Okay. You ready? Yeah, hopefully. Three, two, one, go. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. And he asks Jim, Am I doing the right thing? And Jim, with 100% certainty, 100% reassurance, says, absolutely not. It's just that sometimes goodbyes are a you-know-what. <laughs> and Really my quick. I think you said, am I doing the right thing? And Jim said, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, hold on. <laughs> That's a good thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, uh, totally. Am I doing the wrong? Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a different episode. Yeah. Siri interrupted. Give me a second. <laughs> no. Goodness gracious. Okay. That's amazing. Screw technical issues. I don't. Goodness, I don't... Th that was difficult, and I'm so sorry for what you're about to have to edit. My goodness. It's okay. I I will survive. I will be strong. I'm sure you've done worse. <laughs> now, here, we'll go ahead and hit stop broadcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank we you. People, uh, Bree and Amy, I think, tuned in as well. Thank you all for, for joining us. Bye. Now we're saying goodbye. So, bye. <laughs> Michael. <laughs>